0: Hey everybody, Ethan here. Look, I know it seems like the end times, right? It's apocalyptic right now. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. But luckily... We're doing a movie today that is kind of actually about the end times. It's like a modern ice age. Tons and tons of people die from it, and it's not so bad. Jake Gyllenhaal's really like cute and adorable and young in it, and Dennis Quaid gives you this big old smile. And the people in power who were wrong and who you could make a legit argument are mass murderers are really sorry at the end, and they realize that they're wrong. Just like in reality. I'm sure any day now, everyone in politics is going to come out and go, man, we really messed up and we're going to fix it. This was meant to be hopeful. I'm not sure that I accomplished that, but I hope that you enjoy this episode because it was a ton of fun. Okay, see you later. I got to work on my halftime coach thing. Jeez.
1: Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science.
0: Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh. This is the show where we break down the science of a film with a comedian and a scientist. And today, we are talking about one of the most highly requested films since the beginning of the podcast, The Day After Tomorrow, the storm-infested movie from 2004 with a bunch of CGI and Dennis Quaid. I have two absolutely wonderful guests. I'm so excited to do this show. I wish it was three hours long, but of course, we're going to go the normal time. First of all, a very good friend of mine, a podcast producer for such shows as The Todd Glass Show and many others, I miss him dearly, it's Aristotle Asavido. Hello, I am very happy to
2: be here. I'm very happy to have you, Aristotle. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? I probably should have asked you that before. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I've had the weirdest name in every school I've ever been to, so I've just accepted no matter what, however anyone pronounces it. Well, how do you pronounce your last name? It's span- It's supposed to be Acevedo, but uh, Acevedo. Acevedo is usually the, the the go-to.
0: Okay, great. So I wasn't that far off, not, not to an insulting degree.
2: No, no, not at all.
0: Okay, great. And I'm so eager to just catch up with you because it's been a while since we've talked but i'm gonna i'm gonna save all that for post climate change (laughs) discussion uh there won't be any time then though uh yeah you're probably right (laughs) because we'll be dead (laughs) uh uh, joining us today and lecturing us about climate science is a climate science lecturer at the loughborough university dr tom matthews
1: thanks very much ethan pleasure to be on and good job on pronouncing the university a boring name i have but my Institute is a bit more challenging. So, good job.
0: I think that's actually awesome. Uh, Dr. Tom Matthews sounds like a really strong, uh, like, newscaster name. Like, it's just automatically trustworthy. <laughs>
1: I'd agree with you 100%. <laughs> um,
0: so, yeah, you are a climate science lecturer. Does that mean that you, I mean, I, I assume you also teach classes, but are you trying to inform the world that we are? doomed
1: <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's probably the the most pessimistic summary of my of my job but okay not, sorry not, about that not too far off uh, the reality sometimes so a lecturer is it's a post that i suppose in the u.s you would call assistant professor so it's a faculty position in a university and hmm. it's research and yeah it's also it's also teaching and unfortunately when we talk about climate change there are some you know, kind of unpleasant realities that we have to address up front. But a lot of what we talk about is often kind of solution-oriented too. Um, so we try not to make it too uh, depressing. Yeah. Um, and certainly more depressing is what's in the film. So get that out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think so. This film got depressing real quick.
1: <laughs> it certainly did. So yeah, I mean, what did you
0: first think about the movie? I mean, I assumed you, you know, like a lot of us probably saw it when it came out. It was a highly successful movie at the time. But I'm, I'm curious because I read a little bit about just the scientific community at large taking a huge issue with this film. Did you watch it and just say like, oh my God, I, I wish that they were a little bit more accurate?
1: Yeah, so the, the history of this film, the timing is quite interesting. So it came out in 2004, which is the year before I started universities and undergraduates, the year before I started college. And I remember watching it, I think in my first year of study then, and um thinking yeah perhaps i mean my memory a bit hazy now but you know things weren't quite right and then i watched it again this morning and yeah, i mean it's it's very it's an entertaining film i enjoyed, really enjoyed watching it but the the science um is pretty much as, as wrong as it could be the the, the best <laughs> bit is the, beginning. the context is good so the context is quite interesting this idea of Um, a tipping point and rapid climate change. And the mechanism is approximately right. It's one that is possible. Uh, This shutdown of the thermohaline circulation, but everything else from the kind of the climate, the the results and the speed which you get there is wrong. And the representation of all the individual weather processes is wrong. Um, so yeah, pretty much, kind of all the science is is upside down as it were. So it, it's it's fantastic, entertaining, but it's uh, it's certainly not not accurate when it comes to the science.
0: Right. Okay. I thought about the same. Uh, was that the reaction that you had, Aristotle? I mean, I'm sure you weren't looking at it the first time you saw it as like, how scientifically accurate is this film? But I I feel the same as far
2: as the entertainment value. I mean, it's a fun it's a fun viewing. It is a, a fun movie. I was surprised when you asked me to do this one, because I thought, wait, how how does he know that this was one of my favorite movies? Oh, I did not <laughs> at, know. At the time. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, my sister and I would constantly rewatch a bunch of movies, and this was one of them. What were those other movies? Now, I'm just curious now. They're not at the same time. I'm just bringing the, the ones up top. Hot Rod is another big one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Neutron, <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, that came out. But I still, I remembered this movie fondly, and then rewatching it, it, it was the same kind of reaction of like, wow, this is wild. This is a crazy movie.
0: Yeah, big time. I mean, it's the same director that did Independence Day, and I was not shocked to learn that at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, one disaster after the next, which does make it really fun. But for today, I feel like we have so much to talk about. There's so many aspects of this film that I think we can break down. But first of all, maybe we can start in like a more umbrella term, you know, category, like let's let's go like super general first, I guess, because. You know, I've had a bunch of different environmental scientists on the show, and eventually we do touch on climate change, global warming, and it's usually terrible news. And so as somebody that does this professionally, like, how how doomed are we, I guess, is my question. And, and what hope is there? Like, what can we do that will actually make beneficial change?
1: That's a really good question. Um, Thank you so much. The, <laughs> the first thing to get out there is it's very much in our hands as to how doomed we are. And the second thing to get out there is that you know kind of irrespective of the changes that are in the pipeline that we do have control over the control is essentially our emissions our greenhouse gas emissions we can scale those back and limit the warming but kind of whatever warming we face we still can greet that better or worse depending on how we kind of channel resources into adaptation and dealing with the consequences of a changed climate so in sort of saying how doomed are we, I'd say it's 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 really in our hands. We of course want to minimize the amount of warming that we that we cause. And the reason why we want to limit the amount of warming that we cause is that essentially the the challenges get bigger and bigger every degree of warming that, that occurs, every fraction of a degree of warming that occurs. And also when you know when we kind of talk about how much warming is safe, and you may be aware of this two degree limit that um that we're kind of striving to to stop warming going past that and actually an aspirational goal to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. There's kind of the temptation to think, well, if we limit warming to either of those two numbers, then job done, we're safe. And let's just get this out there. It's very difficult or rather a huge challenge ahead to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. It requires very rapid um, reductions to our emissions, equivalent to the reductions that we've seen from the lockdown, uh, the global lockdown from COVID, It essentially requires the same again, on top of that each year to about 2030 to to get down to uh, the level that we need. And the nasty bit in here is that there might maybe some surprises in the, in the pipeline, and this is a good bridge to the film. So the shutdown of the, the AMOC, the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation, um, it's not too well understood how much warming it takes to cut that off. We rely upon computer models to tell us. Um, but they're not great at capturing those processes or haven't been in the past. There's quite a bit of uncertainty there. Um, so there's a, there are some kind of hidden things in there. One is the collapse of the, the circulation, the security uh, of the ice sheets, the, the, them staying there, the, the Greenland ice sheet and the West Antarctic ice sheet. We don't know quite where these critical warming values are that keep those viable. Um, and then there are these things that we, we kind of know the, the impact scale per, per degree of warming, things like... The impacts from heat waves worldwide. So essentially how doomed are we? It's flexible. We certainly want to limit as much warming as far as possible because we want to avoid unpleasant surprises and the things that we can see, um, we certainly want to avoid as much as possible.
2: Real quick, I also want to ask, because you said it's in our hands and so that's a, that's another reason I thought like is that why Ethan asked me because I I try very hard. I am the annoying friend that's like, is that a plastic water bottle? Is it like uh I <laughs> like I try to run my whole life on a, a sustainable way as much as I can, but is it really up to those kind of small everyday decisions or is it cuz it, every you know big meeting is like it's the massive corporations that are like just pumping out these gases that we really have to change.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, again, a really good question. And it's an area that, you know, isn't really my area of expertise, but still I follow, and, and probably we all can follow, the the advice that's quite easy to tap into out there with respect to what in, in your daily life can reduce emissions the most. And interestingly, and, and probably it's not really fair to use this, but it's quite quite interesting nonetheless, to have one less child is the the most carbon-efficient thing you can do, the carbon-friendly thing <laughs> you can do at the moment. <laughs> With every human, you know, has <laughs> such a big carbon footprint. If you take one out the, out, the system, or don't put one in, then you know that that's um, that's that's one of the best things you can do. Flying less often—that's in our control. That's again uh, one of the main the main ones up there. But what's quite interesting, I think, in the context of now, is that you know we've had this lockdown, this all this global lockdown. And um, granted, the, the estimates of how much we reduce our emissions um, over the course of a year factor in the restarting of the economy at some point. But still, that would, it would not take us the required reduction that we need. We would need to keep you know, upping the ante year after year. So, not, so um, you know, measures in addition to that lockdown. And that lockdown is really a way of seeing perhaps how much, you know, our individual actions, how much difference they can make. Because people aren't really traveling much in the midst of that lockdown. You know, the world is looking very different. And we can see how much that that you know moves the needle. We can see it's not enough. So yeah, undoubtedly, things above the levels of kind of individual individual actions of citizens are required to uh, to deliver the the decarbonisation, the very rapid decarbonisation that we need.
0: Hmm. Okay, so have less children is basically <laughs> the thing.
1: Well, uh, it's not my personal advice, and I, I say I don't know just the medium through which it's delivered and,
0: <laughs> and um, don't shoot the messenger
1: <laughs> all that's contingent upon you know and um, the carbon footprint of a person staying the same and of course it, right. we hope it will change so if it changes and we you know we all become carbon neutral you can in theory, you have as many kids as you like.
0: You know. <laughs> okay. I had two questions while you were talking about it. One, if there's other... Because I know that we're failing as a country. I'm talking about America. Mm. Um, mm. That's obvious. But are there other countries that have adopted these measures and that are seeing rapid uh, change? Because I remember, I think we were talking about Fern Gully uh, a, a month or two back, and there was a rainforest scientist of some sort, I can't remember, uh, that's due to weed. That's a different story. But <laughs> they were saying how, like, if we leave the rainforests, alone like because i i was basically looking at the information saying in that regard we're doomed and they were saying like well we are doomed at the rate we're going now but if we do you know stop ourselves from going at the same rate the rainforest have a a great ability to uh recreate right they they once once they're kind of on a roll then they can they can really get going Do, do you think the climate like has a similar ability, like if we were to be on lockdown forever, which I really hope is not the case. But you know, if if we were like, oh, these are these are the rules now, right? Like we're we're not emitting any more, you know, uh, our carbon footprint is way less. Do you think that the climate would kind of get moving at a faster rate?
1: Yes, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that are in there in the context of the, the global lockdown. You know, a lot's been made of yeah the reduction in our emissions, but the way to think about carbon in the atmosphere is that it's a bathtub that's filling up and the water running into the bathtub um is our emissions of, of co2 and during the lockdown we have just turned the tap down we haven't turned it off so the bath is still filling up right. so the, the you know carbon dioxide is still accumulating in the atmosphere so we're still warming the planet as we as we as we were sitting there in the midst of the tightest in you know, the tightest time of the lockdown mm-hmm. um, concentrations of co2 in the atmosphere were going up and so we were still warming the planet and um, the other, the other kind of, th- even if we were to to stop warming or to stop emitting right now, the planet would still warm up for a period of time. So even if we became carbon neutral now, it didn't add any more carbon to the atmosphere, and mm-hmm. um, it takes a while for the climate system to equilibrate. Momentum situation. Yeah, the way of thinking about it is momentum. It's basically to, it takes time for the oceans to heat up. Mm-hmm. Until they have finished heating up, the air temperatures won't won't finish rising. And then the third thing in there is kind of you know the way we talk about the climate often is equilibria and you know wanting to go back to a natural state and i think another way of you know just an important way of conceptualizing this of appreciating things is the climate you know can take care of itself it's not you know it, it will ultimately settle at a higher um, average temperature to equilibrate with whatever um you know concentrations of greenhouse gases we're in the atmosphere generally the planet's fine with that the issue is is for us of course and it's the we're used to our systems are used to much lower temperatures but the the climate will equilibrate at some point with whatever level of co2 um is in there and it will carry on it's just a shame for us that it will be a bit too warm for us
0: okay so let's let's jump to the film and then we'll come back to scientific aspects of the film but i wrote down a few things that were you know, just exceptionally dumb, as I usually do. (laughs) And so I kind of wanted to bring it up to you guys. I mean, if since this is one of your favorite films, Aristotle, I'm sure you can probably even answer some of these. You used to be used to be. Yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the first one was that they broke the vending machine's after everyone left the library did you guys notice that (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah there's there's, like
0: hundreds of people in there wouldn't the first thing be like hey we're gonna need food asap there's also
2: (laughs) very little like to let you know how much time has passed like they'll kind of reference it but assuming you're in there a week then yeah you would have broken those a long time ago but i do like (laughs) that was a huge one that i wrote down
0: i underlined that i was like when did the storm end how long has it been was it seven because he said it would be seven to ten days that this thing would just grow and grow mm-hmm. but it kind Ooh. of felt like one day or two days right
2: yeah like it, it happened so quickly but they're like the uh, a good helpful marker of how many days have passed is how um when dennis quaid is getting to new york i think they have two or three nights in the tent
1: mm, how did they survive two. the tent
2: <laughs> well there was that burger king <laughs>
1: exactly wendy's i think the Wendy actually and uh, they, they turned the game the cooker on
2: didn't he?
0: and they had a nice little camp out <laughs> alright I'll 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 buy it I just felt like if they're freezing in
2: the library they gotta be dead in the tent <laughs> yeah, they also like they, they don't show you where Dennis Quaid is at in the journey no that's a mystery there's the scene where new york is freezing over and they say like they're about to be over new york like the eye of the storm is hitting new york mm-hmm. uh but you have no reference to where dennis quaid is at except for maybe that mall but even then <laughs> right and then like they hit a staten island yes yeah i thought that was a little
0: confusing and then this one really bothered me jake gyllenhaal's love interest emmy Rosum? yes emmy rosam's has like a cut like a deep cut in her leg and doesn't show anyone she like passes out from it and then they figure out what it, like that is cr- if i have a uh, splinter <laughs> i'm showing somebody You're screaming
1: <laughs> off the rooftops somebody help me with this I, I may have missed it but did they actually give her the penicillin i know they got it but i i, I no, never saw the- we didn't i don't think we <laughs> saw that
0: we never saw it no like
1: a miracle recovery
0: i just couldn't i was laughing so hard when she's like passed out and everybody's trying to figure out what it is and somebody one of the girls that you know is like a side character that doesn't even have a name probably is saying like well she was complaining about her leg a few days ago (laughs) it's like what was that like she was just complaining she was just saying like my leg kind of
2: itches never mind and if she had shown you wouldn't you like even though it got infected and got worse seeing a cut that big you'd be like what the fuck someone get this person (laughs) some help You are a soldier. Your pain (laughs) threshold is crazy. Yeah. Also, this movie, I forgot how silly this movie is. Because the scene where they get the penicillin made me laugh harder (laughs) than it should have. Where it's like, I can't read anything. It's all in (laughs) Russian. And the other character is like, <laughs> I, I found it. How do you know? It says penicillin on the bottom. Yeah, this is the one that says it. I was like, what? why did, Why? was this in here?
0: Yeah, there was, I think right off the bat, there was a funny bit, which which was confusing to me because I don't think it was necessarily meant to be super funny, but maybe in kind of like an Independence Day type way. Like there's a bunch of funny parts in that movie, but it's an action movie mm-hmm. um, where they're in Antarctica. And there's like a, you know, a split in the shelf or whatever. And they come out because that guy's like drilling, which I wanted to ask you about also, like, are there scientists in Antarctica drilling? And what's, what Mm -hmm. are they doing? But anyway, they come out and because there's like a huge cracking noise. And the last thing he says is, I didn't do anything. (laughs) I think that's the quote, right? It's like a little kid. He's like, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. (laughs) And then he falls into the abyss.
1: Yeah, well, that, that opening scene, it was, I mean, that, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. Um, so the, the question, because it really does set the tone for the film, I guess. You know, kind of interesting context and some things. Some things about right. So yes, you get scientists do. You know, they do drill for for ice. They take ice cores in Antarctica, and um, you know, really incredible bits of research. So some of the most ambitious scientific product um, projects in the, in Earth sciences have been uh, retrieving these cores that are kilometers long from the, the deepest parts of the ice sheet. And can tell us what the climate's been like going back almost, well, actually, in some places, over a million years. Um, and so, really impressive science. And the, the important detail is they take those cores from the places where the ice is thickest, and essentially where it's thickest, and where the, the ice at the, the bottom is the oldest. and It gives you a really long record mm. um, to reconstruct the Earth's climate and they were drilling apparently on an ice shelf which is a bit of floating ice that's going out to sea so it's it's no it's kind of like drilling at the beach it's <laughs> it's not where not where it's supposed to be and they they retrieve nothing of interest there so you know that yeah it wasn't the best of starts to to the to the film but I did appreciate the, um, I suppose, the visuals of of him jumping back and forth dramatically to (laughs) save
0: the the core. That part was very exciting and hilarious (laughs) that he made the second
2: jump. That was very surprising. And he's always got that trusty ice pick to save his ass if he needs it. And he he
1: had an arm full of ice core on the second one. So the gap was bigger and he was laden down and he couldn't use his arms to propel himself. And yet somehow he made it. That's the the science for Yeah.
0: He was thinking like, this time I got to really jump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one's important. Um okay, so I wanted to talk about how the like a huge thing in this movie is like global warming has triggered global cooling and mm-hmm. that now yeah. there's like an ice age, like a global ice age. So, what is the accuracy there? Like because we always talk about global warming, but I mm-hmm. I very rarely hear anything about a global cooling
1: yeah no it's a, it's a really good question so there is a shred of of truth in this or at least there is some potential so to start with if you remember he talks he stands up in that conference the scientific conference and he says um they found evidence of uh, of a you know dramatic climate shift ten thousand years ago um where the climate cooled really quickly and what i think he's referring to is a period that we call the younger dryas which was um, a period so we had the last glacial maximum when it was really cold it was ended around the well, maximum was around twenty odd thousand years ago. And then the climate warmed up until this this present period we're in. Um, so we gave it a relatively stable climate over the last ten thousand years which we refer to as the Holocene. And just before the Holocene began, there was this episode that we call the Younger Dryas, which is a return to to colder conditions. And one of the leading ideas for how that was caused, this rapid switch back to cold uh, weather, was um, a huge glacial lake called Proglacial Lake in North America called Lake Agassiz. Named after the tennis player. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that formed in North America, and it, it drained catastrophically. so an enormous amount of water. Uh, there had been meltwater from these um, from the ice sheet that was being stored in front of it flowed out to the North Atlantic and um, essentially cut off this this thermohaline circulation because it made the the water fresher and therefore less dense so it stopped the sinking that you need to power this current. Huh. Um, so that was in a warming world, but coming from a very different situation one where we had these enormous ice sheets sitting on the on the landmasses of the northern hemisphere. Going forward and where I suppose what the, the film is reproducing is the concern that. Contemporary climate warming could trigger uh, cooling through the same mechanism, the shutdown of this thermohaline circulation. So this thermohaline circulation, to give some context, is this big overturning current that in the Atlantic draws water up from the south that's warmer and supplies heat to northern Europe and northeast coast of the States and makes the climate much warmer than it would otherwise be. And the central idea in this film is that the density pump that drives that when I say density pump, what's going on is that the water just to the south of, of Greenland and Iceland um, is, is made very dense by um, cooling from the atmosphere above and also through the creation of, of sea ice that makes it saltier and that causes uh, that water to become dense and sink and that draws water up from the south so that's one of the the engine rooms of this uh, circulation and if you freshen that water by for example melting ice on the greenland ice sheet or causing lots more rainfall over the continents and those that rain running off for, through rivers into the north atlantic and by northern oceans you freshen the water and you can cut off that circulation again and that's the basic premise behind the the film is to uh, melting ice is freshening the North Atlantic, and it cuts off this circulation. And there, so there is a shred of truth in this. One, we think, or it's thought, that the, this thermohaline circulation is slowing already. The latest estimate that's tried to do this over kind of long timescales since the pre-industrials, so and since we started warming the planet, estimates that it may have slowed by something like 15%. And it's not really known um, how much it has to slow or how much warming there has to be in order for it to turn off it looks unlikely for it to turn off this century according to all kind of plausible warming scenarios but we can't rule it out completely so that's out there and if it were to happen if it were to cut off then what you would see according to modeling studies is globally a cooling of about 0.6 of a degree now to put that in context the last glacial maximum 20,000 years ago uh, it was about six degrees colder worldwide. So we're not talking about a reproduction of those conditions in any case, which the film tries to tries to represent. Locally in Europe, there could be temperature drops up to around six degrees, mm. and it would be a fundamentally different climate. So there are shreds of truth in the film, but essentially the, the implementation or the, the following through of those shreds or threads through the film is is uh, about as far off as it could be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome. But something that I just kind of skimmed across when I, I did some research for this, hey, uh, all right. the, I always kind of wish that these kinds of things get mentioned, but doesn't the earth, I mean, not constantly because it's over millions of years, but go... Like everyone always says ice age the ice age but there have been five ice ages correct and it's in a constant flux of ice age to warm greenhouse climate ice age warm greenhouse climate and aren't we Isn't that technically not i know it's it's a mm. it's a warmer but are we in a ice age right now as long as there is ice on the north and south pole
1: yeah that, that that's right we're in an ice house period mm. of, of history over the course of the earth's history the uh, it's been on average warmer than it is right now, but over the last sort of two and a bit million years, we've existed in a state where we bounce between what we call glacials and interglacials. The glacials are the really cold bits where the ice sheets are bigger than they currently are. So um, in Europe, there will be ice down to pretty much London in the UK. That is centred over Sweden and Norway. That ice sheet called the Fennoscandian ice sheet. And in North America, I'm not quite sure how far south it, it went. The Laurentide Ice Sheet, but I think um, Rhode Island is—I think it's perhaps the terminal moraine, so marks the end position essentially where that ice sheet got to. Uh, it's only oh. around that latitude, around the latitude of the of the Great Lakes. But now we're in yeah an interglacial, so relatively warm, and we've been we've been in this for 10,000 years, and we would be gradually cooling back to another glacier were it not for uh the climate warming that we're driving
2: so we're yeah we're knocking it off balance here yeah Yeah. but assuming we we hadn't knocked it off balance and we were living you know a totally carbon neutral life the earth would still eventually go either way right and would we be fucked then either way
1: yes that's completely right it's a really interesting thing to comprehend i think just the timescale we'd be talking about um you know over ten thousand years but yes we would be expecting to go back into a glacial period Whoa. and a glacial period may present you know far bigger challenges so, to us um, isn't and the it, periods are shorter than the glacial so we would be heading towards another glacial
0: relatively soon so why don't we all just say yolo and uh not care about the environment <laughs> i mean well, if we're, we're, we're gonna we're, if we're gonna freeze over anyway but we
1: are talking thousands of years and you know you think about <laughs> how far humanity has come in the last ten thousand years
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know the, the, the advent of agriculture, settled civilization, etc. We're talking all of that time again, and then, then a bit more. I'm not quite sure how long we would expect the current interglacial to last, but it's in the order of thousands to over, t- over 10,000 years, rather than measured in the hundreds of years. Okay. In, in terms of anthropogenic climate change, we're talking about fundamental challenges to the way in which our society operates by, well, we could say some of those challenges are emerging now, and they would certainly be here vividly by the end of this century and you know when we start talking about tens of thousands of years there might be other things on the horizon that we want to watch out for before worrying about the the climate you know um,
0: yeah republicans so
1: <laughs> exactly. i think it's a it's a really good point for when we talk generally about you know our connection with with nature and how we view the climate and our systems and how independent we are from from climate oscillations to appreciate that yeah long term we should expect some fundamental challenges anyway as we move towards uh, another glacial if we weren't currently warm. Yeah, that
2: makes sense. Give us the best yeah, chance. I, I like to believe myself as a as a a happy-go-lucky pessimist. Because those are the kinds yeah. of things that are always in the back of my mind. And it, even then, the, the big end-all of it all is, well, the, star, the sun is still going to die one day, and then we're still fucked <laughs> no matter what.
0: Yeah, try to be the best human that we can be in the face of inevitable destruction. <laughs> Alright, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over here we go back to the show about science okay so there's a scene which is kind of cliche i think in a lot of movies where the birds are all like migrating away Mm. because they know the storm Mm. is coming and then like there's all these animals that are freaking out the wolves (laughs) escape there's like i I can't remember if it's like a seal or something but somebody's like howling um and so i don't know did that like
1: bother you at all or did that make sense (laughs) Well, it's only bothered me. I did, didn't make any sense. Um, that Great. whole episode didn't make any sense at all to me. <laughs> every bit about the representation of those storms was so confusing. Wait so, a minute! You didn't yeah. like the whole three huge storms <laughs> that looked like hurricanes covering the entire Earth? No, they were just they were just confusing in, in every possible way, um, from the structure <laughs> of the storms to their size. The the conditions they were generating this you know uh, subsidence of super cold air that was killing people it's just not possible and none of it was possible you know the the structure of those storms resembles what happens when uh, essentially have really warm waters below the below the atmosphere uh, which is apparently exactly the reverse of the of the conditions that that were there so it was like I don't know I I think it was like you know a couple of guys got round in a bar and heard about <laughs> uh, you know the fresh water can cut off the thermohaline circulation and 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 then like checked on Wikipedia and thought, Oh yeah, that's a thing. That you know, that, that it seems it seems to follow through. And then they just went yeah. and did their own thing for the rest of the film and and kind of started, you know, doing the, the equivalent of Trump's Sharpie with uh, extending the track of that tropical cyclone. They just started drawing storms and making up the physics to make it more exciting. Yeah, that is totally what it seems like. The flooding, uh and the uh, and the animals I presume were meant to be responding to that. Um was just i was so lost at that point that uh, i was i was taking notes i was was doing my homework but um i can't offer any sensible comments what the animals were doing because everything else was so confusing that's great i think what
2: added to that confusion was that it felt like they were reacting so far ahead of the storm because you, you see the birds and then they're still like new york just begins to start
1: flooding in that scene
2: but you're like in the sky, right. you see like, I, it looks like thousands bird. of birds
1: leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, cause it looks like they're essentially reacting to persistent rain, which I guess is not that unusual in, in New York. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The birds are like, guys, this rain is too persistent. This is weird. Let's all leave our homes. <laughs> this is strange. That was definitely one of the funniest parts of the movie, the rapid rate that it got colder. Like there was a scene in particular, which I thought encompassed it, which is like that they're. Running through the library, and they're like literally <laughs> mm. being chased by the cold, which is
1: freezing the library as they run. Yeah, uh, that, that's the scene I remember from 2005 when I first watched it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just nonsense because the coldest air that's in the troposphere um, is warmer than the air that they're apparently running from. And the air that reaches them is meant to be sinking, right? So it's sinking on the top of the atmosphere. And is it as it would sink? It would warm. And the, their, their explanation is it sinks too too quickly to warm up which is just it's it's made up essentially um, mm. the, the whole process yeah is very is, there's a lot of artistic license there i gotta say in their defense they're not scientists
0: right and they <laughs> i think i've read that they tried to involve nasa to help them okay. like consult and they declined so <laughs> yeah. you know they were writing this kind of like what you said probably just in a bar with like <laughs> some shred of you know, factual evidence and just being like, okay, now what else could happen? That's frigging crazy tornadoes. Put it in, put it in.
1: Yeah. That's right.
2: That tornado scene oh. felt like, um, if you watch the office, which I know most of the world does because of how popular it is. Yeah. Uh, there's the episode where Michael makes the movie mm-hmm. and there's that shot where he blows Toby's head up and it's like five <laughs> shots of the head exploding. Is like by far the most expensive shot of the movie. That's what the LA scene felt like. <laughs> It yeah. felt like someone that hates the city so much. He's like, I'm going to really fuck them in this movie. I'm going to like
1: really <laughs> give
2: it to them. L.A. was Toby. Yeah, L.A. was our Toby. <laughs> yeah, it's true.
1: It, it did seem a bit, a bit abstract. And also I now remember some of the other bits that were odd in, the, in, the, in that sequence. So the hurricane that they said was you know, the strongest hurricane ever ever observed was striking just as this was all unfolding. Which again, is just, it's backwards compared, you know, compared to what we expect is as the, as, as the ocean gets warmer, we expect more intense tropical cyclones or hurricanes. And apparently this is going on as the oceans are, are getting cooler. So it was like, they just, again, as you said, heard these interesting words flying around related to climate change and just merged them all, merge them all together. But I did get some, I did there was some hint of them trying to, you know, do some things right. Like that thing with the sinking air. They did say, shouldn't it warm as it, as it gets, you know, as it, as it sinks, as it gets closer to the ground. So I, at least I think, which it should. Okay. So I think at least they'd, they'd spotted, someone had said something like, oh, that air would, that air would warm. And they just decided to have some artistic license over the, the solution that allowed them to,
0: yeah. you know, still have the dead cold. And I mean, I know it's, you know, super overdone, but I also did appreciate the political aspect of this where you know the people that are actually in charge Mm. and making policies just continuously uh put (laughs) down the scientist.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I thought that was actually really powerful that bit. Or rather one of the most powerful bits of the film, the most serious bits of the film was that exchange early on in the conference, because that's something that is unfortunately very familiar.
2: I in that in that conference scene, especially after knowing the Independence Day connection, I was expecting someone to say, hold on, are you saying the climate is changing, uh, but yeah. I I also really loved and appreciated, uh, though confused that the president was just kind of generic president, but vice president was absolutely Dick Cheney. Like, f- forget yes. the president, Dick Cheney. We need him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that was totally on purpose.
1: And mm-hmm. I also liked how they deferred to to Jack Hall, the scientist, to tell them how to respond to this, you know, international crisis, and he gets up with his uh, marker pen and just draws a line and says, you know, evacuate everyone south of this line. And I thought, shouldn't you have, you know, like a fleet of advisors to actually advise on what to do and not artists, all singing or dancing, crevasse, hopping uh, climate scientists, but also evacuate, you know, the entire U.S. for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was funny because everyone above that line because you're you're right it's just completely up to him they're just trusting him (laughs) with the advice and he's just like well if you're above this line which i just drew in in half a second (laughs) they're doomed
2: you you leave them alone they gotta fight it out
1: but but it's fine because his son's above that line so that qualifies him
2: right yeah yeah that felt like a batman superman like wait why did you say martha i also (laughs) have a son uh right
0: Yeah, I, uh, the whole thing with Mexico also, like, there Uh, was a moment, it got really strange there for a second for me, there was a moment where there was a a TV reporter and she was like, the president or the vice president has struck a deal where, you know, Mexico is going to (laughs) take our refugees in exchange for, uh, all of Latin America's debt. It was like, Latin America is like 20 plus countries. (laughs) That why does that where why does Mexico care or how can Mexico speak
2: for, you know, the all rest Latin of Latin, Latin, Latin American countries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like no one edited that line. I did love that scene. And I do want to like I want I want that to be put out in the world of the like I forget what the reporter said, but like in a str- strange twist of irony, people are now fleeing the border <laughs> to Mexico. And I was like, oh, my God, this feels so good to watch, though. <laughs> yes, it's so true. I, also was confused by the spoiler of the end of the movie when uh the vice president is giving his speech from mexico what power does like i he's giving it like he is the power of the world uh but now you are just a man in mexico like who are you to be giving speeches i mean
0: he's the guy that we're turning to even though he's dick cheney uh known (laughs) asshole uh <laughs> devil himself dick cheney he has now become the leader so you know i guess the whole world is looking to him for what to do next on and, the weather channel and he was wrong <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah
0: i thought that was actually really funny that he very quickly admitted that he was wrong
1: yeah mm-hmm. and i also thought i liked the connections to the weather channel i thought that was um, well, well played uh, well played did you guys also uh
2: happen to see the parallels between this movie and now or was i just like connecting too many dots here mm-hmm. uh on like the first conference and him like yelling at him in the hallways to me seemed like that's probably what was happening in the white house when corona was hitting oh yeah like yeah, you you gotta do something and they're like fuck off and then <laughs> here it is and now everyone's got to stay inside or move away mm-hmm. uh, and now the future has changed forever because fuck
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no i think there's a decent analogy to to draw it is one that um certainly if you like me in a climate nerd and, and sort of you know circulating in, in the, the those groups then, then lots of parallels have been drawn between um just in general the climate change challenge and and what we see right now going on so you know the the fact that i mean covid um you know, pandemics they're uh, they're known about and we, we knew that this was coming to some extent just a, a matter of time and yet it's still an enormous surprise when it comes here and, mm-hmm. and of course climate change is different in many ways but in in some ways, it, it's not different at all. We know what the threat is that, that's out there, and yet we we really do dither um respect of what to do about it. So I thought that, yeah, the film in, in that sense um was, was pretty similar to, to reality.
0: Yeah, it seems like, the, similarly with COVID-19, like the climate change scientific community should be leading the way. It's never made any sense to me, ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. because we've, like you said, we've known about this for a long time. I mean, you can watch... You know, documentaries from the 60s and 70s where they're talking about climate change. Mm. Um, And yet, you know, we've basically done nothing to prevent it. Mm. So I I don't know. It just seems so absolutely absurd to me that Mm. you guys are not the ones making policy decisions. You know, like it's still not up to the people with any sort of expertise.
1: Yeah, it's a really, again another another good point, and one that I think is really complicated actually, because climate science, climate science community, for a long time, have been outlining how serious the the challenges we face are, um, and communicating those as transparently and as strongly as possible. Um, but I think the issue is that scientists aren't necessarily any better qualified than. Um, civil servants politicians and advising what to actually do next because huh. you know obviously from, from a climate science point of view or rather from the climate system point of view it's really easy to say well we need to reduce our emissions of greenhouse gases yesterday you know we need to get carbon neutral now just stop emitting it's simple but that has to be balanced against the very real pressures and desires of you know seven billion people that are, are trying to have the best lives for themselves and their and their children and we already know from you know kind of looking at what may be down you know in the pipeline in terms of economic growth the impact of climate change to when i say we know what's coming it's kind of you know nothing is known but um this is the best science the best modeling groups working together social scientists physical scientists and um, we know that generally it's 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 bad news for things like the global economy not just you know people in perhaps developing countries will be on the front line so we know that the best thing to do is to Reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, um, you know, very vigorously now. But translating that into policy is, is really difficult. It seems so
0: simple to me. Maybe I'm a schmuck, but it doesn't seem very complicated uh, at all mm. to me. As far as yeah, reducing these emissions, you know, the the mm. way that factories are run, you know, going green. I mean, I don't know. I mean, limiting air traffic.
2: I, I think a, a a great example of how having those policies in place affects real life. Even the smallest but great example right now is just asking people to wear masks and how many people oh are God. fighting against that, which is insane. Yeah. It is the most minor inconvenience, but I think to that like if there were policy to be like less gas is admitted from this factory, that means that factory is putting out less uh mm. supply and that means there's less for whatever you wanna buy and people will complain about that. Uh mm. having a limit on like Flights and driving would also cause even more people to complain about that. And it seems like such a fucked position that we've put ourselves in now that there are people allowed
1: to complain about masks. That's right. And then I think at the, at the bigger scale, um, you know, when you look further, further afield at some of the challenges that are out there and why I think it, it is quite complicated is I think there's something around, well, the number's around something like 300 million people in India that don't have access to reliable energy, so reliable ele- electricity and it's and that, and that's you know similar case i don't know the numbers but um a fate shared by a situation shared by many in sub-saharan africa and other parts of um less less wealthy uh, nations and the cheap way to electrify countries has historically been and still is to a certain extent coal and you know you know polluting um forms of forms of energy that put uh, greenhouse gases and carbon in particular into the atmosphere and the west has so the europe the us has become exceptionally wealthy um, through the burning of fossil fuels, you know, through the Industrial Revolution, and and is now in a privileged position where we can produce um, renewable energy at scale quite cheaply, and in in many cases cheaper than coal. Um, but it takes incredible investment to get to that point, and for the so-called the developing world that doesn't necessarily have access to. Um, to at the moment, those resources to do it, their cheap way to get electricity and to improve the, the lives of their citizens now is to use um, polluting fossil fuels to get their energy. The right thing to do, I say the morally uh, right thing to do in this situation, and there are mechanisms for this in international um, climate change policy, is for mass transfer of resources from the, the developed world, the global West, um, to the developing world, the global South to help fund that transition. But that's where some of the complexity is because it requires essentially, um, forward looking international policy and a will to, um, to separate with, with money and resources to help others, uh, develop cleanly. Cause then it's in the best interest for, for everyone.
0: Wow. Well, I personally think people like you should be making these policies. I hope <laughs> that I don't know how that can happen. Um, I'll vote for you. Can
1: I vote in Loughborough? <laughs> how does that work? Yeah, well, is I think that a I, place? L- 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 Loughborough is a place, yes. And I, I live okay. just down the road of that in Good Start, Barrow upon Soar, which is an even smaller place, but easier easier to pronounce, um, and
0: probably easier to become uh, mayor of.
1: I would probably be a hopeless um, politician. I'm far too disorganized and spend all my time thinking about the weather. So I think I I probably <laughs> stick to I stick to that and occasionally tell people about the weather and how important I think it is. Uh, but I will leave that to
0: others. Well, what about like you know what Aristotle was saying? Uh, because I do know that about Aristotle, as you mentioned before, that you are always trying to save the planet in small ways. So are there you know you, you got like your your top ten Tom tips? You know uh, for for uh, saving the planet saving our footprints i mean should we be doing compost you know not using plastic what do you think are like you can do top three if you want i'm not going to obviously make you list 10 things but you know what uh what can we do on a small scale uh besides voting which of course you know yeah, please exactly. everybody vote so for the, yeah progressive so these policies are
1: listed and my memory probably won't won't capture them accurately but you can you can google this and it'll tell you that the top uh, however many ranked in order and um, for, for what you can do i think the top that uh, i'm pretty confident i'll get right other than not having a, a child is to is to take one less flight um so uh, you know don't take a transatlantic flight don't fly basically it's a very inefficient way of, of traveling mm. Um, yeah i know unfortunately i mean I, i'm guilty of this and so are many climate scientists ironically enough um, the lockdown has been great for showing us that we can you know, share science virtually but otherwise climate scientists do do travel a lot and it's something that i think we have to look at you sick bastard like, <laughs> I uh, know. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we do have to. We do have to do
2: something. Do you know? Um, are, I mean, right. I know this is a, your, your field, but I guess this is something that uh, I, I. This is a, an oversight on me that mm. I've never even looked into. Are there like alternative uh, flight fuels or plane designs? in the works right now?
1: I think that there's work being done to try and make the car, the airline industry more um, carbon efficient. So, you know, you see things like the winglets that were introduced, where the wings curve up at the end. That mm. was introduced to, to make flights more carbon efficient, but it's a huge challenge to uh, make them carbon neutral, which is, which is what's necessary in order um, for us to be able to carry on flying. Because that's the big challenge and the thing to get into all of our heads is that we want to be carbon neutral. That means not adding another... Um, bit of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. So anything that is leading to emissions, and that's just not the flight itself, it's the production of the plane, it's the maintenance of the runways, it's the lights on in the airport. It's not going to happen. It's everything. We need to figure out a way of doing it uh, yeah, without being emissions into the, the atmosphere. Um, so, I mean, of course, this is net neutral, so you can take carbon up elsewhere, but the easiest thing to do is to knock into the atmosphere in the first place. But I feel sure that I don't know about it, that there's a huge amount of research being done in the airline industry to try and Make sure we can have our cake and eat it, it.
0: So I just drove from LA to Houston. Would you say, in your words, that I'm a hero?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it depends what you're driving in. What were you driving in? Uh,
0: that's not important. <laughs> I, I rented a very large Nissan Pathfinder.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's probably better than flying. Uh, on, I think I think okay. any any method isn't flying is better for your carbon emissions but they get there is variability across across the spectrum you know trains different from from buses uh, cars different from buses etc um obviously an, an electric car is the is the best you can you can do at the moment um but obviously they're more expensive it's tricky you know i guess one question we need to all ask ourselves is do we need to be travelling the distances we are and and secondly the things that we buy the food miles etc and um, can we buy things closer to home yeah, that's something that we we can do relatively easily. I think just a few more minutes looking around the supermarket, um, you know, that's not going to impact our lifestyle tremendously. The bigger thing that is hard for us, I think, is that we often really want to travel. Um, you know, it's it's part of the adventure. that I think is innate in humans that we we strive for that. We want the, the adventure and the excitement. And it's a really boring solution, isn't it? To say, well, actually, maybe we should just stay closer to home. Go for a, go for a cycle rather than jump in the car. Well, it'll protect you from viruses.
2: And yeah. I'm, I'm a hard agree on that because I hate flying. I forgot about that scene mm-hmm. where in the airplane. And uh, I, I'm sure I already hated flying before that, but for sure this uh, scene did not help. Yeah,
0: I've, I've always also, I, I try not to fly if I can help it. Um, I would also, yeah, just echo, you know, to try and get your food from local farms. Mm-hmm. It's probably much farmer's healthier. Market, baby. And farmer's market, yeah. Support your local uh, communities that mm-hmm. way. I uh, during my my drive across half of this country, I did get to see some really scary looking farms where there was just like a thousand cows in what seemed to be enough room for like seven, um, which, uh, you know, it's just going to produce some some crap ass burger, which uh, you don't want to eat.
1: Exactly. Literally, that's one of the things that you can do as well is switch to a vegan diet that would yes. um, your your carbon footprint.
2: I was just about to ask I if I may, are. if I if I may jump on the pedestal for a second, <laughs> and you would feel far, feel Please. feel free to correct me. But that same, I was gonna say, vegan diet is the way to go. I hate to be so <laughs> preachy, but it is true because of those farms. The majority of the crops that are being grown are being fed to those livestock. So if we started to <laughs> cut out that livestock, that's more food for the world <laughs> to have or less, you know, energy being put out or put into growing crops that are just going to be fed to cows and other animals that are not treated well. And then it's a whole system.
1: It's a really good point. And that's one of the things, it's a bit complicated to explain, so I won't do the details, but going forward, um, in order to try and reduce carbon emissions, one of one of the things that's talked about a lot is capturing our, our emissions, so growing um, growing things to essentially burn, produce energy, and then capture those emissions. so for example, you can be reforestation and then burning the wood and capturing the carbon and then you actually remove co2 from the atmosphere uh-uh. um, but to do that requires us to change how we use land and we may have to give up uh, agricultural land uh, that's currently providing food in order to meet those requirements and These are things that are just kind of out there is. Kind of crunch points that are ahead, or decisions, or things that will have to be considered along the way. Um, but it's really good to the, you, you mentioned that now that you know the vegan diet, or at least changing diet and being more efficient in what we eat, isn't just you know the, the re- reduced carbon that that food production um, has. It's also that it perhaps liberates space to be used for something else to help us uh, bring bring down our carbon emissions.
0: Sounds like you got a lot of solutions there, Doctor Matthews. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm hearing you as a mayor. I'm telling you. <laughs>
1: For a confused mayor that misses his appointments, I would imagine. That's
0: fine. I don't need you to make appointments. I need you to make policy. You've got my vote. <laughs> okay. You've you got I'll two check. votes all the way from America.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll have to check when the mayoral elections are running. If if, if Barrow even has a mayor, it's a pretty small place. <laughs> <laughs> we can make
0: that. If it, If they don't have it, they need one.
1: And it increases my chances, right? If it's if it's small, though, I haven't got my <laughs> That's the other the other way to look at it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um okay, well, we are out of time, unfortunately. But uh Aristotle, I, I know you're probably producing a bunch of different podcasts, but is there
2: is there some in particular you want to tell people about or promote? Uh New Player has joined. It's a podcast about video games. It's really funny. Y'all ever, it's a very silly podcast, so you can tell by the name with dave ross and hampton you sweet uh the untold hour which is a paranormal podcast which also uh it, it didn't come up but this movie is based off a book written by one of the hosts of coast to coast oh which i think it and a horror writer which is why it seems a little a little bit out there yeah okay i would i would guess and then i'm um, ari's talk goes on everything and what what was the last one <laughs> Uh, i'm uh, like you can find me on all oh, the oh, places as oh. ari's tacos a-r-i-s-t-a-c-o-s fantastic yes
0: follow aristotle he is the man uh and and are these podcasts on starburns
2: or uh, different y- yes companies uh th- I, I do some other ones but those are the the first three that came to mind and those are all starburns
0: fantastic okay well thank you aristotle and dr tom matthews any uh, yeah last words or uh, last words like I'm going to kill you um, just any, anything you want to tell people about or promote
1: yeah so there's um, a slightly more realistic portrayal of climate change research coming out on June 30th on the nat geo channel um about a recent expedition to Mount everest this was last year where we installed Nat geo and Rolex with a uh, organizer sponsor the expedition we installed um, we did a whole load of science including installing the highest weather stations in the world and also the world's highest ice call was taken by mario patocchi of university of maine so um an ice call Mm -hmm. a great segue and not uh, not at all rehearsed the connection there between the between the film Uh, that's out june 30th on the nat geo channel Uh, wow okay awesome and
0: rolex is a carbon neutral company
1: um they have obviously you know put their put their resources into furthering climate change research and better understanding of the the planet and the and the uh, challenges that deliver ahead so wow. um yeah they're Great. investing their money in an admirable way in that sense
0: okay awesome love that um i was just doing some <laughs> research while we were talking about the flights and it looks yeah. like delta has committed like a billion dollars to being carbon neutral but i don't know if that's actually gonna happen or whatever but i don't know i guess if you're flying maybe try delta am i i'm not yeah. sponsored by delta <laughs> <laughs> it just came up on Google. Um, okay. Thank you guys both uh, so much. This was an absolute pleasure. Talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Enberg. Our associate producer is Emily Felt. Our engineer is Jeremy Schmidt. Bad Science is edited by Lucas Bollinger. And our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive, please vote for people that are environmentally conscious and are actually passionate about saving the world producer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at badsciencepod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at seeker.com. That's seeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver, but we really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening. Bye.